This is the Heartland Daily Podcast. The other day, the Heartland Institute's Donald Kendall was on the Sean Thompson Show to talk about the new book, Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. Donald was a contributor to the book, co-authored by Glenn Beck and Heartland's Justin Haskins. It's yet another top seller at Amazon, number one in political books, and will soon appear on yet another New York Times bestselling list. Donald and Sean talk about what the powerful global elites at the World Economic Forum and the United Nations have planned for society, and they don't intend for the people to be able to oppose it. Have a listen. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merck, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like on top of me, so everybody just follow me, because we need a little controversy, because it feels so empty without me. I said, the Fourth Reich. World Economic Forum, World Health Organization, NATO, all of these entities that are destroying the sovereignty of our republic. In fact, how many politicians have undermined the principles of our republic in both parties? It's hard to quantify. But what we can do is make ourselves aware and figure out how to push back the next wave of fascism, of government supremacy. My next guest specializes in this. He's a research fellow for the Heartland Institute Socialism Research Center. He's also the host of Heartland's In the Take podcast. He's contributed on numerous Glenn Beck books. His next one, or his new one, is the Glenn Beck book, Dark Future, Uncovering the Great Reset, Reset's Terrifying Next Phase. His name is Donald Kendall. Donald, thank you for joining me. How are you? Donald? Your silence is deafening, kid. All right, we will effort to get... uh, Donald Kendall back. Hello, can you yes, hear me? Yes, now I can. How are you, babe? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me on. You'll have to forgive me. We have a guy in the uh, the room who's uh, awful hefty, and I think he had some crumbs on the button he was supposed to hit. I apologize. How are you and the new book? Uh, doing well. You know, I think that uh, this is perfectly poetic, considering that uh, this book has a lot to do with the technological wave of advancements and all of these different fields. And it's technology that was preventing me from saying hello on time when you exactly. asked. Exactly. So it's, See, it's a, it's a vicious circle of uh, Skynet, which apparently is going to take over everything. But who has programmed Skynet? Is it this Caballero? So COVID-19 crisis has shown us that our old systems are not fit anymore for the 21st century. Now, my favorite part is that his father was the flamethrower manufacturer for the Third Reich. And that accent doesn't deter anybody in America from turning over our sovereignty to the World Economic Forum. But the reality is we are facing this government supremacy that has been sold to elected politicians, but more importantly, lobbyists, if they have corrupted our society as we know it, and from what I'm living through, destroyed the principles of Americanism. Am I being too dramatic? I, I, you know, honestly, this is going to sound hyperbolic, but I don't think you're being dramatic enough. Because the situation that we find ourselves in is seriously something out of science fiction. So Klaus Schwab, the guy that you just played the the clip of, president of the World Economic Forum, he coined the term the fourth industrial revolution. Instead of the fourth right? 
We should have won with the yeah, right. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Again, poetry. It's all yeah. poetry. Yeah. Uh, this is a catch-all term for a wave of def- different technological advancements that are that are here. Uh, I think the first wave of it was what we experienced just a handful of months ago with the Chat GPT and this wave of AI language models that kind of hit the hit the ground running. But on top of that, we're talking. Uh, automation, advanced robotics, uh, data collection, self-driving cars, automation, um, the whole whole litany of different things, VR, uh, augmented reality, the metaverse, all of this different stuff is coming. And what he will say, if you read his books, he will say that this is going to cause some major disruptions in society, in the economy and everything. And to prevent these disruptions from going in a bad direction, they have to make sure that they are right there all of these different players in the game, uh, the World Economic Forum to the big tech oligarchs and all of that are there to make sure to embed their principles into the foundations of these technologies so that if it does disrupt society, it disrupts it in a direction that gives them more power and control over society uh, and the economy. You know, and really sinister stuff. It is sinister. Uh, But so is their so is their platform. I mean, aside from being a mirror image of the 19. 36 Soviet Constitution, which is the platform of the modern-day Marxist mafia calling themselves Democrats in America. What they've managed to do is somehow undermine the principles of individual liberty, where now it is normal, in particular in these Democrat sewers, for people to demand that someone else be stripped of his basic right of his judgment and his opinion, where now you're being, it's normal in America to be coerced extorted intimidated by your government and the government has broken its fundamental rules to me the honest man it's broken its covenant of uh taxation it's broken its covenant to enforce law and protect myself and my family from the scallywags among us also known as democrats but what you're living through is an economic backdoor nationalization and they're doing it with this esg bull dung and they couldn't do it If they didn't have a vested interest in all of these companies and the idea that BlackRock owns 5% of 95% of the S&P 500, how does that not become a Sherman antitrust act? How has one conglomerate been allowed to control the voting of thousands of companies? How has this happened? Yeah, well, you know, when I come on to your show and talk about ESG and talk about how they were able to thrive and build infrastructure for this giant cronia system, the biggest cronia system ever devised by man, they did it without us paying attention because they were using terms like ESG and and different uh, shareholder voting rights and things that just kind of don't resonate with the average person. But once we shine the light on this and kind of put it all in the context of The Great Reset with the previous book, this one is basically a spiritual sequel to that book, it really showed what their plans were. And now it's almost like a decoder ring where you look at all of these stories that are happening in the news and it's like, I understand it now. So I, you know, I talked about all the different wave of technology that's coming our way, and we're already in the midst of it. I think an example of it that everyone that's listening to this will probably understand is like Twitter and social media, where these started as a very disruptive, technologically advanced type of idea that kind of broke the bounds of of uh, some of the the corporate media stranglehold over over media and media dissemination, and it was this. A uh, fairly objective thing at first. If you had enough viewers or followers, then they would see your stuff. But then, 
uh, somewhere in the midway point, just a handful of years ago, these technological elites started putting their thumbs on the scale and censoring certain speech that they didn't like or making sure certain messages didn't get across. And now this giant, disruptive, technologically advanced media dissemination system was being weaponized by these people against these messages of free speech or limited government or even skepticism over the messages that are being told to us by people like Fauci and Klaus Schwab. Can I ask you now we're going to see that same thing happening again and again and more and more advanced technologies that are coming our way. Before we get to the rest of the podcast, I want to tell you about a great event coming up that you will not want to miss. The Heartland Institute's 39th Anniversary Benefit Dinner. It will be held Friday, September 8th at the Marriott Chicago O'Hare Hotel, a convenient place for people in Chicagoland, as well as people flying in from out of town. Our featured speaker is John Stossel, one of the few libertarians who has ever risen to the top of American media. The winner of 19 Emmys, a Peabody Award, and five honors from the National Press Club, this veteran of ABC News, you might remember him from the show 2020 back in the day, has for decades been a tireless voice for liberty, exposing government abuse and overreach. His voice is needed now more than ever in the wake of a federal government that has grabbed vast new powers over our economy and society. You will not want to miss your chance to meet John Stossel and hear his inspiring address to hundreds of your fellow lovers of liberty. Get your tickets today and join us September 8th to help support the Heartland Institute and our shared mission of protecting liberty and our constitutional rights. For more information, visit heartland.org or call 312-377-4000. Again, visit heartland.org or call 312-377-4000 for tickets. We hope to see you there with John Stossel. I want to ask you a sophomoric, ridiculous question, but it is the only question that I really think needs to be answered. How are they getting away with this? Because this is not just manipulation. This is against the principles of my nation. You see, this kind of fascism is unconstitutional. Why are they still doing it? Is it because there is nobody who watches the watchers and the watchers, even on the Republican side, are also uh, sycophants to the World Economic Forum as McCarthy has been a member and been going to the World Economic Forum since he was uh, the asshat to the other congressman he replaced in California? Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably a couple of different ways to at least attempt to answer that question. Uh, one is the is the veneer that they wrap all of their plans and their agenda in when it's all talking about promoting equity and making sure that nobody's taken advantage of uh, or, you know, taking care of the planet and making sure population is contained. Oh, I mean, pollution is contained. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so they, Listen, they get away you- with it that because it sounds good. All of this stuff sounds good. If we just have capital at all costs, that's their terminology, then it's going to lead to ruin and the exploitation of all of our natural resources and, and people and all of that stuff. And what we have to do is instead align ourselves with these uh, our, these higher goals that are represented in ESG, these subjective goals that are outlined by the Davos elite. Those are the things that the economy should be slanted towards to promote. That's, that's the way that we are going to reach salvation. That's what these people are thinking. It's astonishing to me that this has been tolerated to the level it has been. When you are doing the research for the book and when you dig into the, the, the plot of the World Economic Forum and the self-described rulers of life itself, is there any pushback in their native Europe 
European countries? Or are those people more pliable? Because what I'm starting to see, in particular after COVID-19, is the breaking of the Mer- the American independent mind and that American citizen who kind of willfully goes along with this corrupt mafia anyway. So I'm wondering, where is there going to be pushback? Because to tell you the truth, when you, you see the pushback here in America to the vaccine, to the taking of businesses, I mean, aside from the people who got up and left these totalitarian states, there really wasn't much of a pushback, was there? No, uh, you know, one, one of the thing, again, this kind of goes back to their, their way of setting up all the infrastructure for this when no one was paying attention for ESG. The similar stuff goes on now. I mean, when Davos meets yearly in the Swiss Alps and their little James Bond bad guy hideout up it's there, crazy. Uh, pe- people will pay attention to, you know, the hypocrisy of the carbon emissions of the jets that are flying all of these elites over there. But it doesn't really ever get much deeper than that. And if you actually sit and listen to these panels, these endless amounts of panels, usually like 30, 40, 50 hours worth of content that they're, uh, that they're all talking amongst themselves, and they are pr- plainly stating some of these things. One of the major themes throughout the book is this idea of the great narrative. And this is the idea that they are in the positions of power to create a narrative for society, that if we all just follow this story that they concocted, then we can design the future to, to our will and make sure that with enough pressure and enough guidance and enough coercion, we can all push towards these great ideals that they have in mind. They plainly state this, and we have the direct quotes in the book to back it up. So that's the next stage, right? And that explains why in lockstep, Media is reciting the exact same talking points. We're pretending that now the the greatest existential threat, even though it's fun to watch that dimwit in diapers with dementia try to say existential, it, it, the next existential threat is the climate change. Except it doesn't mind when you blow the hell out of the former Soviet Union. It doesn't mind when America blows up Nord Stream 2 or blows the dam and floods out Tens of thousands of people. We just don't count it. We censor the information and the uh, the oligarch mafia goes on. Right. That that is uh, essentially the plan. And the thing is, you know, like I said, with ESG, I'm sure I've said it on this uh, program before. But these rules that they have in place, while they make it seem like these are codified and written in cement, they're not. They're all subjective and they're all uh, able to be changed on a whim. So if, if you know all of this is put in place and it's all humming along, there's nothing stopping these Davos elite types from inserting some ESG score that will punish businesses for – uh, doing business with firearms manufacturers or sale- sellers. Or, you know, if your company, maybe it's a media company, isn't doing enough to stop misinformation or disinformation, then your score do- goes down and you're punished in the economy. It is so just... this is just an opening the door for a total level of control that's unprecedented in humankind. You know, it's fun, though, because there, in, in a certain extent, you're also seeing a tremendous amount of good people Tens of millions of Americans, particularly those who elect politicians who are more interested in preserving the ideals of Americanism than they are promoting their own self-interest and uh, position in society. You're seeing 20 states not only join Convention of the States, which is a great start, but states like my state where the government said any public directed money, any will never be invested in any company that practices ESG. I mean, you're talking about at a quick turn over a billion dollars of their pension assets and the rest of it. So there still is enough room to put up a strong fight, 
But I'm curious to know what you think will win because you're in this. You did the research. You just wrote the book. And, you know, aside from the next phase, will there be a resistance and is it strong enough or are we going to lose this to the Fourth Reich? Well, the, the American people do represent a very unique pushback to all of this stuff. And you could actually find quotes of Klaus Schwab almost lamenting that idea that this, uh, that like this, this adherence to liberty and individual liberty, uh, individual voluntary action and all of that is actually a hindrance to their plans. Sure. There's another quote from George Soros in his book where he references uh, America with derision because they're staying in, uh, they're standing in the way of these kind of globalist schemes and all of that. Again, we have these quotes in the book. But the again, when the stuff was flying under the radar and people were paying attention to, to less important things, uh, that's when they were able to move the ball so far down the field. And now uh, I was I, I was probably the most pessimistic person when we were finishing up with the Great Reset book because I didn't know what we should even consider putting in the final chapter as solutions because it seemed like such a daunting. Uh, foe in front of us. Yes. But then after the book came out and we saw this wave of people un- uh, understanding and really uh, uh, parading behind this idea of this anti-ESG, this anti-Great Reset uh, agenda, then we actually started seeing movement and movement at levels I was not expecting from state level to federal interest, all of this that was starting to chip away at this infrastructure that was built to promote ESG and everything that goes along with it. So I think that once people are aware of this and they can see what the enemy is clear in front of them, then we can really start formulating a a real effective defense against it. You know, Donald, it's so obvious to me that the way in which our government in particular has been manipulating its persecution of, of, of its ideological opposition through the IRS, through the corrupt FBI, through the information and the censorship and the reality is, I still believe in my heart of hearts there are more Americans that are offended by being willful slaves than there are willing to participate. And it's through that separation is the true bright spot. And when you see 20 states join a a convention of the states, which in essence is to nullify a corrupt federal government that cannot police itself, there is optimism there. So I'm wondering, when you talked to Glenn Beck and you were putting everything together, did he ask about me? Did he offer a, a autograph book? Was there any mention of me at all? Yeah, well, I had to fight him off the phone. He was the one that wanted to talk on this interview. But I was like, no, Sean Thompson's a good friend of mine. I'm going to talk to him. Donald Kendall. Well, first of all, I need you. I want people to understand the Heartland Institute is based out of Illinois, correct? That's absolutely right. I mean, and, and this is the thing. There are still such wonderful people, aside from the people who listen to my show, that are putting up this fight. It's crucially important that we support the Heartland Institute. I always keep my eye on you. I love the In the Tank podcast. And I want to thank you and Glenn Beck for putting this book together because it's the kind of knowledge that everyone needs to know. Because they are not deterring from their mission to implement one world government, but more importantly, a fascism that is accepted and cheered by the slaves. And that's what we need to push back against. That's what Heartland Institute pushes back against. Donald Kendall, thank you so much for joining me. I truly appreciate you. Well, I appreciate all those kind words, and thank you for having me on. Yeah, now an autographed book wouldn't kill anybody. You know what I mean? How about a little something for the effort? All right, thank you, kid. (laughs) We'll be back with your calls and comments. 